what you have to understand is that your life itself is meant to be an ongoing conversational relationship with God. Your life, your life is meant to be this ongoing conversational relationship with God. You are intended to hear and follow the voice of God. The problem, of course, is for a lot of us, we just don't feel like we hear it. Now, God speaks. He's always speaking, and God speaks to you. How in the world we manage to miss his voice is, is, is just impossible somehow to understand. In Scripture, when God first speaks, what happens? All creation. I mean, God's voice, God speaks, and creation comes into existence. God speaks, and the universe explodes into existence. I mean, just simple, simple words. Light be, God says, and light was. I mean, that's just how simple it is. That's the power of God's word. And so God speaks, and the universe explodes into existence, and the universe is still exploding, according to scientists. It's amazing. That's the power whenever God utters a single word. But somehow his word in our life doesn't have that same power. In Scripture, God roars, God shouts, God speaks, God sings. But in your life, mostly, you'll learn he whispers, which means you have to Listen, when a person whispers, it causes those around to have to draw near, you know, listen. What this means, of course, is that God speaks primarily out of silence, but silence is something that we actually appreciate. It's not something that we enjoy. Some of you in your life will play the radio, the TV. I mean, you'll just make noise to fill the silence. You're not comfortable with silence. When you go to bed at night, it's just that laying there and, and, and in your thoughts. It, it's one of the most difficult things we do just to endure silence. If you've ever toured Mammoth Cave, when you get to that one place, uh, what's it, the Gothic Avenue or something, Gothic Cavern, uh, the guides will often stop and tell you the story of one of the early explorers of Mammoth Cave whose lantern went out and he became lost in the darkness of the cave. And, and the cave, of course, is utterly dark and utterly silent. When they finally found this poor guy uh, days, weeks later, he was still in the cave, but he was dazed, he was drawn, he was confused, and he was beating two rocks together. Do you remember that? Have you ever heard that story? He's beating two rocks together. Do you know why? To drown out the sound of his heartbeat. In the cave, in the silence, he became absolutely uh, driven crazy by the sound of his own heartbeat. Beating two rocks together. Yeah. Ooh, silence is so hard. It's so difficult to bear. Have y'all seen the new Mr. Rogers movie? Have y'all seen that? Uh, I'm really not a Mr. Rogers guy. Uh, I never watched it as a kid, but the movie's actually actually pretty good up to a point. Uh, there's a moment in the new Mr. Rogers movie, Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers. There's a moment in the movie when Mr. Rogers is talking to this guy in a Chinese restaurant. And this guy's cynical and kind of hard-hearted, and Mr. Rogers is trying to, you know, get through to him. So, so Mr. Rogers says to this man, in the, and this is in the movie, so you're, you, you paid $13 for this, you ready? So sitting in the movie, and Mr. Rogers says, would you do something with me? Would you just stop and let's take a full minute and just reflect on those who have loved us into being who we are? And then he just sat there. And I thought, surely we're not going to do this. I mean, in a movie, 
Like a minute of silence? I mean, seriously, what, I paid $13? And then all of a sudden, Mr. Rogers, just big moon face. I thought, we are doing this. We're really doing this. Now, they say in theaters that it's one of the most moving parts of the whole film that people just, you know, weep. <laughs> Nobody's weeping in my theater. We're all just thinking, could I maybe get popcorn and get back before you're done with this minute? I mean, it was just, you know, maybe it's just me. I just, I'm just like, seriously? I mean, and he's just. I mean, you know, if that had gone much longer, I'd have been out there beating two rocks together, you know, in the theater. Just like, come on, why this? I mean, it's silence, and we don't like silence. I mean, we just sort of get, it gets awkward, it gets long. But what if God's primary means of speaking to us is out of silence? What if one way or the other, we have to learn to be quiet, be still, and listen? 1 Kings chapter 19. It's probably a story that some of you know. It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Uh, let's read together and then talk about what it means to hear God's uh, still small voice. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to start in verse 3 with Elijah. Here we go. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. As he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more. The journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave. New Living Translation calls it a gentle whisper. Old King James says a still small voice. A voice quieter than a whisper. Now, if, if, uh, if, if you know anything about the Old Testament, some of you do, some of you don't, but let me just remind you. When Elijah goes to Mount Sinai, that's kind of huge. That's very, very significant. It's called the mountain of God. Just those of you who know, what happened on Mount Sinai? What, what, what do we associate with Mount Sinai? Yeah, the Ten Commandments, Moses. 
I mean, this is the mountain of God. In the old Exodus story, when God was leading the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he eventually led them to Mount Sinai. And that is the very mountain where God's presence came down. And God came to that mountain. You remember the story? Remember how that mountain shook and quaked? Do you remember that? Remember how lightning flashed and fire came down, that that the cloud of glory came and smothered that mountain in darkness, and the people were terrified? Do you remember how God spoke? God spoke from Mount Sinai, and everybody heard it. The people heard it. Read your Bible, Exodus chapter 33. The people heard that voice, and they heard that voice, and what did they say? We don't ever want to hear that voice again. That voice will kill us. I mean, they they were so terrified by the voice of God, that, that giant thundering voice of God that they said, we don't really need to hear that. So Moses, you go, you go, let God just speak to you. And then you come back and tell us what he said, because that voice will flatten us. So incidentally, we haven't heard that voice thundering like that since that day. Moses goes up alone and God speaks to Moses. The earth quakes and the fire flashes and the cloud comes down. So understand, when Elijah makes this 40-day trek to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, he knows where he's going and he knows what he's doing. He wants God. He wants to hear God's voice. And he knows what happened in Mount Sinai. He knows how God spoke to Moses, and he wants some of that. He wants some of that. He wants the voice of God to split the rocks. He wants the voice of God to flash like lightning. He wants the voice of God to shake the earth. Do you understand that? I mean, he knows where he's going. He knows what happens there, and he wants that. He needs the Lord. He wants God in the biggest way possible. He needs it. So... Elijah travels 40 days, gets to the mountain. And, and actually, when you start reading the text, I mean, it, it, feels like, it feels like the Moses story all over again. Do you know in the Moses story, when, when Moses said, God, I just want you to show me your glory. Do you remember that? Show me your glory. And what did God say? God said, well, step out before me on the mountain. Step out before me on the rock. I'm going to pass by. When I pass by, I will cover you with my hand in a crevice of the rock. And, and there's no way that you can see the, the, the full front side of my glory, but I'll let you see the back side of my glory. It's a story. It's an amazing story. So Elijah's on the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. God says, step out on the rock. I'm going to pass by and you think you know what's going to happen. It's going to be more Moses. It's going to be th- that sort of voice, that sort of presence. I mean, the, the glory of God is going to flatten him. The crevice of the rock. I mean, this is what you expect because that's what God did before. This is what God does at Sinai. This is how he worked with Moses. So Elijah steps out. What happens? What happens first? What's it say? First there was, verse 11, a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Okay, pay attention to that language. A windstorm hit the mountain. Wind doesn't ordinarily hit you. You know, it, it, it's a gentle breeze. I mean, wind blows on you, but no, this wind hits you. Notice the force of this wind. It's such a terrible blast that rocks are torn loose. Now, we had some pretty stout wind yesterday in Woodburn. I mean, I lost some shingles. Some of you lost some trees, but do, do you see any rocks blowing around? I mean, ordinarily, you know, tumbleweeds, maybe, you know, 
Your wife's wig, you know, can get... That sort of thing can blow around. But it would be a, a very, very extraordinary wind to start moving rocks. So Elijah steps out. God passes by. And there is a windstorm that hits the mountain and rocks are split loose. But that wasn't it. I mean, that's a Moses kind of thing. That's the kind of thing Elijah was waiting for. That's what God's looking, it's exactly what Elijah's looking for. But God's not in that wind, not in that wind at all. And then all of a sudden, what? The earth starts to quake. I mean, there's an earthquake, right? After the wind, there was an earthquake. I mean, I mean, the earth begins to shake and move. The rocks begin to split again. I mean, it's an earthquake. And certainly this is God. I mean, this is how God worked with Moses. Mount Sinai shook and quaked under the weight of his glory. And Elijah is standing there and God is passing by. And the earth begins to shake. And then what? The earthquake wasn't it. God wasn't in the earthquake. What? What comes next? What comes next is this is a good one. Fire. Now, I don't know how much you remember about Elijah's ministry, but what did he just do? Like, what did he just do? 40 days ago in 10 minutes, what did he just do? He just called down what? Fire from heaven. Absolutely. He was there with all of the false prophets of Baal, this giant showdown, whose God is real, whose God is powerful. And Elijah stepped back. It was one of the greatest days of Elijah's life. He watched those pitiful prophets of Baal limping around, praying to their false God, and nothing happens. Elijah steps out, says one little prayer to his God, and what happens? Fire from heaven. Fire from heaven. Just like at Sinai. I mean, when God appeared to Moses at Sinai, fire flashes. I mean, he's a God of fire. Elijah's always known this God to be a God of fire. So after the windstorm, after the earthquake, there's what? Fire, fire, except that uh, this time, God's not in the fire. What must Elijah be thinking after all of those displays of power? God wasn't in any of that. Now, what happened next was the closest thing to nothing you can possibly imagine. And I mean that. Closest thing to nothing you can possibly imagine because the earth had shaken and the wind had hit and fire had fallen and now just sort of nothing. And then was that a voice? Is that a whisper? I mean, then just some translations will call it the sound of sheer silence. King James calls it the still small voice. Quieter than a whisper. And Elijah steps out. 
starts to listen. It's, it's the strangest kind of story because of what you expect. Like again, if, if you know the Bible the way Elijah would have known his Bible, he knows how God works at Sinai. He knows how God spoke to Moses. But that's not how he speaks to Elijah. Not now, not today, not in this moment. Now, now why? First off, let's just say right up front, God's communication takes many forms. God's communication takes many forms. And in the past, God had spoken. God had revealed himself. God had shaken the mountain. And, and he had you know, blasted the rocks with fire and wind. I mean, God is capable, fully capable of speaking with a voice that can uh, set the planets in motion. I mean, I mean, this is the Lord God. He, he speaks the word, you know, light be, and the sun explodes into existence. I mean, this is a God whose voice is powerful. So his communication takes m many, many forms. So the question becomes, why doesn't God speak to Elijah in this moment the same way he's spoken to Elijah in the past or even the way he used to talk to Moses? I mean, what is God doing? We talked about how your life is this ongoing conversational relationship with God, that you should be hearing God's voice. Some of you right now, you desperately want to hear a word from God. You, you have questions that need answers. You have problems that need solutions. You have fear and anxiety that needs calming. I mean, you have loneliness that needs befriending. You just need the shelter of the Lord, the peace that he brings. I mean, you're, you're desperate and, and you want so much to hear this word from God. But you feel like you don't hear it. You feel like he's not speaking. You feel like that as, as much as you long to hear the sound of his voice, he's He's just not speaking to you. And I'm telling you that he is. He always does. But you have to understand that when God speaks, it's not just that he's trying to transfer information. It is not information that you need. It's not. No matter what your question is, it's not information that you need. No matter how, how desperately lonely or guilty or anxious or afraid, I'm telling you, it's not information. It's not a word so much from God that you need. What you always, always need is God himself. What you need is the Lord. It's an ongoing conversational relationship because you need the Lord. You need to walk with him and talk with him. You need him in relationship. You need his presence. You need his power in your life. It's not information. And for that reason, whenever God is communicating, always understand God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. So God is always simply revealing himself. It's himself. Always, always, what you need is God himself. Nothing more, nothing less. You just need God. You need God himself. So when God communicates, when God is talking to you, always what he's revealing, what he wants you to grasp, what he wants you to understand is who he is. Who he is. Always, in every situation, what you need more of is understanding of who God is. You need the Lord. So Elijah, in this moment of his life, I mean, one of the lowest points of his life, incidentally, it follows one of the highest points of his life. But immediately, he's in this state of depression. Immediately, he is so depressed. He is so despondent. 
He can hardly move. He can hardly breathe. The angel of the Lord has to come over and nudge him just to wake up enough to eat. He would just sleep. He would sit there in his apartment all day long with the drapes drawn in the dark. I mean, he just wants to die. This is where Elijah is. One of the greatest men of faith the world has ever seen. One of the most powerful prophets of God in this situation doesn't even have the strength to feed himself. This conversation with God is bitter and broken. I just want to die, Lord. I just want to die. Just let me die. So what does he need? Information, a word from God. I mean, God knows exactly what Elijah needs. He says, eat up, boy, we got a journey. We got a trip to take. It's enough in him to get him 40 days to Mount Sinai. Mountain of God, the place of power, the place of God's presence. This historical place of God speaking. Elijah has always known God to be this God of of volume, (laughs) this loud, angry God who flashes fire from heaven and destroys his enemies. And Elijah's whole ministry had been shaped accordingly because that's how he thought of God. And and that is certainly the, the wrathful, that's a true picture of who God is, but that's not the whole picture of who God is. Elijah's always known God to be the God of wind and fire and shaking of the earth. I mean, that's exactly how Elijah expects to know God. But in this moment, God wants Elijah to understand something deeper, something else. It's not information that he needs. It's not a motivational speech. He just needs to know who God is in a deeper way, in the most beautiful way. Elijah doesn't need to know a whole lot more about the God of fire. He's seen God bring fire down from heaven doesn't necessarily need to know the power of a God that can shake the earth. His voice can shake. His voice can loosen your bowels. You understand? His voice is powerful. Elijah's seen all that. He knows all that. He's been there with God. You know what Elijah really, really needs at this moment of his life? Do you know what Elijah really, really needs? He needs to meet the God. He needs to know the God who draws you, who draws you close, shelters you, feeds you. He needs to know the God who whispers. So do you understand that God gives Elijah exactly what he needs in the moment that he needs it, and he communicates in the way that Elijah needs to hear. I mean, because what God is always trying to reveal is himself. It's less the information that transpires. It's the way he learns to find God in the silence. Now, this is important for you and me because I think some of us have a little bit of a misunderstanding about how God speaks in our lives. And and I just want to start with this principle here. God doesn't have to create drama to have a conversation with you. Doesn't have to create drama. And this is what some of us require. Actually, it's what we prefer. We want, like, if God wants to get your attention, you want him to, like, write in big letters on that wall right there. I mean, you want that. You want a sign. You want God to do something. You want God to stomp his foot. You, you want God to write it in the sky. 
Like you sit in the pew and you say, okay, Lord, if you really want me to go to the altar and pray, then let Pastor Tim stand on one foot and hop up and down. I mean, some of you play those games with God, don't you? God, if you really, really, really want me to stop and help that poor person, then, then uh, let somebody honk their horn three times. Okay, all right then, you know, I mean, that's how we operate, right? God, if you really want me to do this, then, then I want this. I want some drama. I want to see smoke in the sky. I, I want to see my husband pick up his shorts. I mean, I want to see something that I would know is supernatural. I want some drama, Lord. Create some drama. And, and so this is how you sort of go through life thinking that if God's going to speak, the earth is going to shake. It's going to be fire falling from heaven. There's going to be a windstorm. It's going to blow the color out of your hair. I mean, you're just expecting God to create some sort of drama so you know it's him. And I'm telling you, God does not have to create drama to have a conversation with you. Do you remember what we said last week? If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. So why in the world would you think that you need God to write it in letters across the wall there when you have the Holy Spirit? Why in the world would you think that, that, that Pastor Jim ought to stand on one foot and hop up and down three times if Lord's speaking to you? Why would you need all of that? You have the Holy Spirit. Why do you think you need fire from heaven? Why do you need an earthquake? Why do you need all of this? Why do you continue to bargain and, and negotiate and wait for some sort of sign? If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. God doesn't have to create drama. And for the most part, he's not going to. He's not going to stoop to that. He's not going to jump through hoops for you. Do you understand? He's God. He speaks and the universe explodes into existence. He doesn't have to prove anything to you. Does not have to create drama. And understand, this, this fascination with, with, with signs, with wonders, this, this need for all of this, it's, it's more or less a characteristic of spiritual immaturity. This is a, a sign of childishness in your faith. This is not how God continues to work in the life of a mature believer. I remind you, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And this desire to have God just grab you by the hair and shake you around, you understand, that's childish. That, that's childish. You have the Holy Spirit. God wants to speak to you, to walk and talk with you, to relate to you as a grown-up child in the faith. You're supposed to mature. You're supposed to get past all of these childish needs for God to keep doing tricks for you. Okay, God, if you really, really are there, touch my hand. I prayed that prayer when I was seven years old. True story. Laying in bed, always been a person who struggles with doubt. I just said, God, I need to know that you're there. I was laying in my bed in the dark of night. I want to know that you're there. And I stuck out my hand and I waited. Just, you know, like, give me five. Prove to me you're there. That's a seven-year-old kid. I remember, you ever woke up in the night, like after you've had your arm hanging off the bed and, and your arm's totally asleep and numb? And I remember waking up that night with my arm just cold and numb and realizing 
I, I didn't get a slap in the hand from God. Do y'all know why I didn't? You want to know why God did not answer that prayer? Because if God had given me like a smack in the hand to prove that he was real on that night when I was seven years old, God knows me. I would have needed that every night for the rest of my life. I would have needed that. I mean, if my faith is going to be built on something that, that shallow, something that small, then understand, I would have needed that every day of my life. And God didn't want me just to be a, a person who believes in him because I've seen the tricks he can do. He wanted me to have a deeper kind of faith. You understand? So God is not a God who's going to jump through hoops for you. He, he shouldn't have to do that, and you shouldn't need that anymore. You're a believer. You have the Holy Spirit. Have I made that point clearly enough? You understand? He does not have to create drama to have a conversation with you. It's, it's what Elijah learned and what so many of us have learned to simply call something like the still small voice. It, it, as I said last week, you, you probably shouldn't literally expect to hear an audible voice. It's not that kind of voice. That's why for Elijah, it's like, it's, it's, it's quieter than silence, but at the same time, it's louder than anything you've ever heard in your life. I mean, because it's inward. God can lay it right in your thoughts, right in your mind. I mean, God knows how to speak to you. And he does. It's, it's, it's the still small voice. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a voice of silence. It's a voice in silence. I don't, I don't know how to describe it other than just to say that this is, this is primarily the way God speaks. So, so what you need to learn to do is to sort of pay attention to the way that God usually speaks to people. And then you seek to hear his voice in those ways. Just pay attention how God usually speaks to people, and then you learn to hear his voice in those ways. Stop waiting for lightning. Stop asking for some sort of weird sign. Just, just learn to hear God's voice the way people have always heard God's voice. That still small voice is, is speaking to you. Um, a couple of years ago, a guy named Mark Batterson came out with a book called Whisper. Uh, how to Hear God's Voice, I, I think, is the subtitle. Uh, I put a link to it on the live event today so you can find it. Uh, Mark Batterson, which I love, has seven love languages of God or seven ways that you can hear this still small voice. And I'm just going to hit those seven with you right now just to give you an idea of all of the different ways that God is, is probably already speaking to you or, or perhaps one or two of these ways. The first way, of course, is Scripture. God speaks through Scripture. I said this last week, I'm going to say it over and over and over, that the, the clearest and, and most universal word from God to you is, is in Scripture. So if you're a person who's like, yeah, I really want to hear God's voice, but you really don't read the Bible, I don't believe you. If you really want to hear God's voice, if that matters to you, then you're going to become a person of the word. Well, Pastor Jim, I don't like to read. I'm not talking about reading. I'm talking about hearing God's voice. Go to the Word. It's a living book. It's not a dead book. You just go to the Bible and you start reading. You just read. Well, Pastor Tim, every time I read, I fall asleep. Well, let me tell you something. This is, is a general rule. It's, it's not just do this. Read the Bible until you get to a point where it tells you to do something. Then just stop and go do it. Do it that way. Then you won't sleep. Like, like read the Bible until it gets to a point where you're told to do something, which will be maybe two verses in. And then you just go do it. 
See, that's your problem. You've trained yourself to read right past all of the things that, that, that God is saying to you. Stop doing that. Every time the word gives a commandment, instruction, an example to follow, you just stop right there and you, you adapt. You, you begin to obey. You just stop and do what it says. Don't be a reader, but a doer. You understand? And, and that's the difference. So you just get into scripture and listen for the voice of God. And anytime it says do something, you do it. It's God speaking to you. That means when the word says you forgive others as I've forgiven you, that means you got a lot of forgiving to do. Get busy. When it says honor your father and mother, you stop what you're doing and you repair your relationship with your parents. You got a lot of work to do there. Do you understand? You just read straight through and anytime it says do something, you do that. It's God speaking to you. God speaks through his word. God speaks through scripture and he's speaking to you. So if you want wisdom, if you want his voice, you go there, you start there, you start there every single day. He's speaking there. It's so clear and universal in his word that most of us use his word to measure everything else. So if you come up to me and say, Pastor Tim, I think God's speaking to me. I think God wants me to, to start a clown show in Woodburn. I think God wants me to wear a wig and wear a red nose. And I think God wants me to start next Sunday morning at the 930 service. I'm gonna do some clowning for Jesus. Well, you know, we're going to have to go to the word on that. You, you know, you just sort of always got to measure. You know, Pastor Tim, you know, I, I've really been praying and I think God's telling me I'm supposed to leave my wife and marry my secretary. Can we go to the word of God on that? Can, can, we, can we just read together the, the verse about adultery? You, you, understand? you measure everything else by what the word of God says because it's clear. It's written and it's not changing with society or, or your particular situation. You understand? It's God's word. Read the word. But then from there, let, let's continue. This next one, I, I think will surprise you. But after scripture, desires. What? Desires. Book of Psalms says that, that if, you, if you seek the Lord uh, with all of your heart, he'll give you the desires of your heart. So there is this ability that when you're walking with the Lord, you can pay attention to that voice of gladness in your soul. It often will guide you. It'll guide you into the places where you feel most truly alive. It'll guide you into the places where you feel like, yeah, I, I'm doing what I know I was created to do, what I was made to do. You, you listen to the desires because only God knows what he's put in you and God knows what he's trying to bring out of you. And so the closer you are walking with the Lord, that the closer you are to hearing his voice, you can begin to pay attention to some of your own desires. Now there's a limit to that. Some of our desires are sinful. Some of our desires are fleshly and you have to learn how to know the difference. I would start in the word of God. Can I go back to that? But when you're in the word and in fellowship with the spirit, and when you're listening, God will often begin to tug you, begin to work through your desires. You will find yourself suddenly wanting to do something that you never, ever saw yourself doing. I never wanted to be a preacher, never really wanted to be a pastor. But when it was time and when God was ready for me, that desire just started to grow. Understand? starts to grow. So God can speak. God can work through your desires. Next, I know this one sounds kind of strange, but doors, doors. I don't mean like those doors. I mean doors of opportunity. In scripture, it continues to say that God is the God that opens and closes doors. 
And so suddenly in your life, you have this new opportunity, an opportunity to share Jesus, an opportunity to go and pursue something you've always dreamed of doing. I mean, God is a God who opens and closes doors, and you should pay attention to that. It's one of the ways that God demonstrates his sovereignty over everything, by just orchestrating every situation in your life so that you begin to understand that every single day you awake, God is opening and closing doors for you, and that's how you know where to go. That's how you know how he's guiding you, doors of opportunity. Now, the next one I almost hesitate to say because you're all going to think it's weird, and because it sounds weird, I don't want to talk about it, but I will be honest with you, one of One of the primary ways that God speaks to me is dreams. It's all through scripture. So you can't say, Pastor Tim, that's weird. It's biblical. It's biblical. And God speaks to me in dreams all the time. Now, that's not perhaps the way he speaks to you. God knows how to speak to you, and God knows how to speak to me. And God has always spoken to me in dreams. When I sleep... A part of my brain stays open, stays awake. Um, I'm a lucid dreamer, which means I always know that I'm dreaming. And so in my dreams, I I, I will actually have conversations with God. I, I write sermons in my dreams. I receive the wisdom and answer to problems and questions in my dreams. I wake up with solutions I didn't go to bed with. Uh, I know, I I know. and, and that may not be the way God speaks to you, but it is one of the ways that God speaks to me. You know, whatever I dream about doesn't, you know, it could also be, you know, Chinese food. I understand that too. But, but it's often that God speaks, speaks to me with dreams. Uh, when Casey and I were praying together 24 years ago about coming to Woodburn uh, to, to, to lead this church, um, God confirmed that by giving us both the very same dream on the very same night. We woke up the next morning, looked each other in the face, and we knew. We had the very same dream on the very same night, and that's how God got us here. So this is one of the ways that God speaks to me, and I think one of the ways that God will speak to some of you, desires, doors, dreams. Next, people. Um, God will speak through other people to you. You have to know because sometimes other people are crazy. You know, and not every person talking to you is, is, you know, has got something from the Lord. Even those who say, I think I got a word from the Lord for you, sometimes they're crazy too. I mean, you know, God is always going to confirm it in your life. God's going to confirm it through his word. But other people will say things and sometimes you'll know, oh my goodness, that was, that was from the Lord. God wanted me to hear you say that. Other people can see things in you that you can't see. Other people know things about you that you don't know about yourself. I mean, I mean, for example, you can't see the back of your own head. You don't know what it's like to live on the other side of you. And, and other people can see gifts, and other people can just see sometimes what you can't see. And for that reason, God can use them to help you hear or understand something that you wouldn't ordinarily hear or understand. So God will often speak through people. This is one of the primary ways that God uses my ministry as a preacher. God will have me say things, and, and I don't always know at all who I'm talking to or how it's going to land for you, but, but I've learned that God will often take what I say, and somehow between my, my mouth and your heart, it's a very different message, and I think it's hilarious. Because sometimes y'all will come back and say, Pastor Tim, you know, that message you preached two weeks ago on gossip, well, that was for me. And I'm thinking, two weeks ago, I didn't preach on gossip. 
You know, I mean, like I haven't preached on gossip in a long time, but isn't that wonderful how God works? You heard a sermon on gossip. Isn't that amazing? I don't know exactly how that works. I just know that when you listen to the Lord and, and listen to other people, God's often going to deliver his message to you through the mouth of somebody else, people. Next, this is kind of an interesting kind of word, but the word is promptings. It's promptings because it starts with P, and in my preaching I had three Ds and three Ps, so I don't need notes. So people, promptings is next. Promptings are all of those um, uh, still small voice moments. Uh, a prompting is where you just get this nudge in the spirit. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's sometimes even wordless, but just like in an instant, you just sort of know what you're supposed to do or you feel nudged or, or, or pushed. Sometimes, uh, and, and this is something that, that, that Casey talks about, um, th- there are patterns there's just patterns, like, like you hear a message and then when God speaks, even though it's a still small voice, it often echoes. So I'll hear it in the, in the sermon and then I'll go into small group and then Mike Regal will say it, you know, in his lesson. And then I'm driving home and somebody on the radio will say the very same thing. You know, that first week when we, when we shared that verse about how you hear a voice behind you, you know, I heard several of you say, you know, that verse was everywhere the next week. Like everywhere I turned around, it was that verse. You know, it, it's the way that when God is really trying to drive something into your heart, you'll just keep, you'll see it. it it'll just be a pattern. It, you'll start seeing it, hearing it everywhere. And it's just God's way of continuing to confirm to you what he's trying to say. These promptings, it, it's that still small voice inside. It, it's, it's the nudge. Um, it's just that idea. It's that, that thought that won't go away, that, that heaviness sometimes, that burden. I can't get that person off of my mind, you know. I talked about how God speaks to me in dreams. Some of you, he speaks to you through insomnia. Like you wake up in the middle of the night wide awake thinking about so-and-so and you don't know why. Can I tell you why? Probably this is a spirit's prompting because he can't get your attention any other time of day. Like you're not still enough or quiet enough any other time. So he wakes you up so you will listen. So listen, so pray, so follow all of those promptings. Now the last one, this comes from Mark Batterson. I wouldn't have thought of this. But the minute I read it, the minute he says it, I know he's right. The last one is pain. As I stand here this morning, I just think across our church family. James Bush had a stroke on Friday night. He's at Skyline Hospital. God bless him. Joy Bush, of course, his wife is with him. She went home to sleep last night. We went to bed together on Friday night, 11 o'clock. In the emergency room a couple of hours later at Skyline now. Janie McGinnis lost her daughter, Amy, who had battled brain cancer for two years, just three boys. Janie was with her when she died. Janie was with her daughter when she took her first breath, and Janie was with her when she breathed her last breath. No, no mama should have to endure that. We have so many people in our church battling cancer. Chris and Billy and Beverly and Adrian and all of those in different stages of treatment. I 
I just wish we never, I wish we never had to go through any of that. I just really do. Except that your, your moments of pain become just a, a whispering place. If you'll listen, oh. C.S. Lewis says that in your pleasures, God whispers, but in your pain, he shouts. And it doesn't mean like he shouts in anger. It's just that man, when, when you are suffering, when there's pain, when there's fear, um, there's focus. And in those moments, uh, you, you can hear him often. In my, in my cancer, you know what God said to me over and over and over and over? Just that he loved me. You know why? Because I doubted it in those moments. I just, I just, I, I felt like, on the one hand, I felt, God, if something happens to me, what happens to the church? And then God was telling me, well, you know, we can do it without you. <laughs> and I can accept that, you know, I can accept that, that all of, all of this could happen without me. And, but, but then when I just start wondering, so why are you letting this happen to me? You know, do you love me? Why would this happen? I understand that you don't need me, but do you love me? Over and over and over, just the sweetest voice just continuing to remind me that he loves me, that he loves me, that he loves me. When I finally knew that I was well, <laughs> that this was over, one of my first thoughts was, I don't want to lose this. That there's a wisdom and a humility that, that come with these moments. It's just in your life, you're going to find that those moments of weakness and brokenness are going to be some of the most important whispering places of your life. Elijah was so depressed and despondent, couldn't even eat, couldn't even stay awake. He just wanted to sleep and, and wish he could die. He, he really didn't need a God who could shake the earth. He really didn't need fire. You understand, he didn't need a God who could smack a mountain with wind that would split rocks, strip the trees naked. I mean, that is not what Elijah needed in that moment of incredible brokenness and emptiness. He encountered the God who whispers. I, I know that some of you would love some drama in your spiritual life, but can we just agree there's enough drama all around us? Save the drama for your mama, huh? God just wants a relationship with you. Whatever guidance, whatever fear, whatever problem, question you have, what you really just need is the Lord himself. And he wants you to know him. He wants you close. That's the thing about when you whisper. When you whisper, uh, other people have to get 
and they have to come close. Pray with me. voice we wait to hear, Lord God, is yours. Speak. Lord Jesus, speak. We don't need signs. We don't need drama. We don't need earth. We don't need wind. We don't need fire. Lord Jesus, we just need you, your presence, the sweetness of your voice. Lord, some of us have lived our lives so long and so far from you that we've never quite yet learned how to hear you whisper. But Lord, you promised that if we would draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. So Lord, draw us close enough that we can hear you breathe, that we can feel your love, know the sweetness of your still, small voice. God, we don't doubt that you speak, Lord, we just confess that we don't always listen. Help us, Lord God, to have ears and hearts and eyes open so that, Lord, whatever it is that you would say, we will hear. Speak, oh Lord, speak. Your whisper is life. Pray these things in your precious name, Jesus.